Welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing, the show where busy people like you learn how to build substantial passive income while creating wealth for the long term. And now, here's your host, Marco Santarelli. Hello and welcome to Passive Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Marco Santarelli. So today's episode is essentially a client call recording, and this lady, Ashley, is working with one of my investment counselors here already, but she sent in an email um, under the Ask Marco category and threw a question out at me, and she was basically saying that uh, she would like to have a conversation with me about some things in her email, and I decided to go ahead and do that, even though she's working with one of my counselors. Uh, we ended up having a great call, and I recorded most of it, and I'm going to play that back for you here because I thought it would be um, not only interesting but informative and somewhat educational to hear the questions and the answers and the, the back and forth that we had on the call. So I'm going to start off by reading her email here and then play that recording, and um, I hope you enjoy it. So she writes in and saying, hi, Marco, big question for you. I'm at the point in my investing where I'm ready to cash out refinance my primary residence here in Massachusetts. That will net me about $700,000 in proceeds and I really want to move that quote unquote dead equity into real estate. My goal is cash flow to help cover our significantly larger primary mortgage and also get me closer to leaving my six figure W2 job. So the big question, what would you do with $700,000 to invest to maximize cash flow? Then she's got some sub questions here or comments. The first bullet being, I don't think I'm ready to jump into apartment complexes yet. The thought of buying seven $100,000 single family residentials outright without financing sounds like the quickest path to cash flow, but I would miss out on the power of leverage. Perhaps it's 14 $100,000 single family residential homes that are 50% financed. Third bullet, any other suggestions for me? All is looking good to close on the two Pennsylvania properties next week. This is outside of the $700,000. Thanks for the suggestion to look at Pennsylvania. They've been so great to work with as you said they would be. And she's referring to the provider team that we work with out there. And she finally concludes by saying, happy to jump on the phone if you have time to talk this big question through. Appreciated, Ashley. All right. When we jumped on the phone call and just before I started recording the call, she was basically saying that she's been listening to the podcast now for a few months. She loves it. She was uh, just essentially saying thank you for putting out such great content. And then she was starting to go into her story. And that's when I remembered to click the record button. Uh, so I have talked to her after the recording and she has given me her permission to edit and publish the content as a podcast episode. So here is the call with Ashley. Well, is quit my day job and just be more available for them and, and do real estate full time. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, um, first of all, just real quick, I just want to say thanks for your comments. I'm glad you like the show. I'm, I'm happy to hear that you've been listening to all the episodes and you've downloaded all of them. <laughs> I, I need, to make some, need to make some changes on a few of the um, earlier episodes, but no big deal. Just, just <laughs> one, one of them I want to take down. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so no, I'm, I'm glad you're getting a lot from it. I'm glad you read Rich Dad Poor Dad. That, that was a game-changing book for me too. Even though I was already all in into yeah. real estate, 
it just changed the way I thought about certain things. Exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's kind of a foundational book. Um, you know, now I've just literally, I've got 2000 books and of course I didn't read all of them, but you know, I, <laughs> they just look good on my bookshelf. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that equity that you are talking about, is that in your principal residence or is that a second home? Cause I, I didn't catch that. It's in our primary. So I, I do have a second home that I just finished, um, two months ago, refinancing that as well and pulled all that cash out. And I'm using that to buy two Pennsylvania properties through you guys. So this, uh, this 700 is purely our, our primary residence. So you already know what you're doing with the investable cash that you have on the side that is not in the form of equity, right? Right. Yep. Okay. Now, when you say 700000 in equity, is that like total equity or is that what you've earmarked as investable equity that can be pulled out or refinanced out? That's the investable. So um, once I leave 25% in for, for loan requirements and then pay okay. off our current. So our current is 175000 and our house is worth about 1.3. Okay. Have you gone down the road or talked to a lender or mortgage broker about the refinance? I, I have. I've talked with my local credit union here. Um, Melissa gave me the great advice a couple a couple months ago, um, because you guys don't, or she'd originally put me in touch with Aaron Chapman, who he's awesome. And he's, he's done all my loans that I've done with, with you guys. Um, but he can't do Massachusetts. So I've been in touch with local credit union who Melissa said they have really great rates. And I've got a woman there who she's already offered me around 3.15% on a jumbo for this. Wow. I know I was just going to make the comment that your timing is pretty interesting with everything going on right now because rates have, I mean, rates have been at, at historic lows for a long time, Yeah. but they are exceptionally low right now. Like when you can get a loan around 3%. Oh, it's um, unbelievable. Yeah. That's, that really is below the rate of inflation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it feels like free money almost. It is free money. It is free money. <laughs> yeah. So that's no. the point. So now is that on a 30 year fix just out of curiosity? Yes, 30-year fixed. We are on, uh, we're about four and a half years into it. Okay. Oh, you've already refinanced it? No, I, ha I apologize. My original loan, we bought the place, we built it about four years ago. Oh, I see. Um, but the refi, yeah, it would be a 30-year fixed. You know, a lot of real estate investing is about math. You know, it's really yes. just objective data, objective facts, objective analysis, and running math. Very little of it is actually emotionally based. So when you're looking at refinancing and pulling that out, now you've got that equity you've turned into investable cash. That cash can generate cash flow for you from whatever investment you put it in, whether it's real estate or a business or something I'm working on, you know, Broadway musicals, whatever it may be. When you can generate income from it, yep. if that income you generate from it is higher than the cost of that money, in this case, the refinance, you know, whatever you're paying on the new loan, then you've created positive cash flow for yourself. However you look at it, it's a positive step forward. So what you're doing, and I think based on me listening to you, you already have figured this out. You're essentially yes. just taking out that dormant idle equity and moving it. You're not mm -hmm. spending it. You're moving it into income producing assets that generate cash flow. 
So the bottom line or the point is, is that if the cash flow you're generating is greater than the cost of the money that you're now paying because of the refinance at 3.1%, exactly. then you've triaged that equity, you've moved it, probably put it into a safer place, maybe. But even if you haven't, the point is, is you've turned it into an asset that can create additional equity over the years to come, plus the cash flow that you get from it each and every year. Yeah. A smart way to create wealth, a smart way to grow your passive income, and a fast track way to create that financial independence or financial freedom that you're working towards. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm looking to do. And once I explained all that to my husband and he saw it, cause like I said earlier, he was a little bit scared of leverage and is very comfortable with this um, $1.3 million house in our $175,000 mortgage payment uh, or balance. But once I explained like, yes, our monthly payment will go up pretty, pretty largely. But once we reinvest this, I think we'll actually come ahead and somebody else will be paying our mortgage for us. Um, whether it's a, you know, a renter or, or however the cash flow comes in, we essentially aren't paying our mortgage anymore. Something an investment is, and, and then we are that much yeah. closer to financial freedom. Yeah. I'm with yeah, you. That, and that's the math part of it. It's, yes. it's, it's when you just sit down and you run the numbers, you know, you have to make a few assumptions here, of course, because you haven't actually acquired those new rental properties, but you do have certain facts in place. You already know exactly to the penny what you're going to pay more on the refinance on that loan because you have yeah. the rate, the term and the dollar amount. Yeah. And, and so now you just have to start looking at properties in whatever markets those are in and in whatever neighborhoods those are in that meet your investment criteria uh, you know, to accomplish that. Yeah. And, and you know what, like, I, I'm not saying you should be doing this, but hypothetically speaking, let's just say that you're no further ahead or behind. Let's just say it's a wash, whatever your monthly increase is on your mortgage which by the way, the interest is, you, I'm sure you know, is tax deductible, or at least it still, still should be where you live. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. So you've got this, there's no tax on, on, on the, on the cash out refi because there's no tax on, on debt. So you're pulling out that equity tax free. Mm -hmm. You have this tax deduction from the, the mortgage interest on your principal residence. And now you're taking that equity and you're investing it into assets that generate income that are also tax favored, heavily tax favored because you have the depreciation. So it's really a win across the board. But hypothetically speaking, let's just say it's a wash mm -hmm. and you're no further ahead cash flow wise. Um, whatever, you know, the cash flow is on the rental properties, net, net, net mm -hmm. is exactly what you're paying every month or every year on, you know, the, uh, the, the new mortgage on your property. Yeah. <clears throat> what you still have going on for you are the depreciation Yep. Uh, the depreciation write-offs, tax write-offs from the properties. You have equity growth yep. from the amortization of the loan um, over time. Yep. And if you have appreciation, which over time you will, but if you have, if and when you have that appreciation, you have that equity growth as well. So even if you don't have a rate of return from the cash flows, because it's a wash at zero, you're mm -hmm. still going to have a rate of return from the equity growth that happens, you know, after year one, two, three, four, five, and so on. Yeah. And even if we have the short-term pullback, let's just say, you know, we go to hell in a handbasket here <laughs> over the next year or two, yeah. right? As long as you've got, as long as you're in good neighborhoods where you have a good a demographic base, like, you know, you, you're always going to have a tenant pool to draw from, which is pretty typical when you're in, you know, being A-class neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, you're going to weather through these, you know, whether it's a recession or a local, uh, local real estate market cycle, like a down cycle, you'll weather through because, you know, changes in property value are just paper numbers. They're, they're, yeah. they're not realized. They're just on paper. Yep. So when you come out of it, often you come out of it stronger as we have, as we've seen in, in all the recessions in the last hundred years, you know, we always come out, you know, bigger and stronger on, on yeah. the other side. So anyway, I, I don't know why I'm telling you all this, but really it's just, you know, a very smart and strategic move, uh, what you're doing, especially with the cost of money today being so cheap. Yeah. So you, you feel or agree that take the 700 um, and redeploy it into more. So I've been going down the single family route with you guys and just, I don't know if it, if it would be um, how many that could get me, but off the top of my head, I was also thinking it, with inventory being a little bit challenging, what if I just outright purchase without any mortgages, you know, $700,000 units, or then I'd have even more cash flow, but then I'm missing out on the leverage piece of it. Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. So um, my knee jerk answer to that is to take advantage of the cheap money that's available for mortgage financing. One for, for a couple of reasons. One, it's, it's super cheap money. I mean, it's historically yeah. low. Okay. Yeah. So it's virtually free. Number two, you're going to be in a much better place five, 10 years from now, having a larger portfolio because the equity gains are going to be not across seven $100,000 mm -hmm. properties. It's that's going to be fun. across, let's say 20 or more $100,000 properties, right? So if you have a, a very marginal gain in appreciation uh, over time, like, you know, you might have some negative years, but let's just say it averages out to a nominal 3% per year, which yeah. I know, historically speaking, it sounds pretty small right now, but, but let's just say you have that 3% gain on seven $100,000 properties. Well, you know, that adds up, but what if you have that 3% gain on average per year across 20 properties because you've applied, you know, 70% financing, you know, your down payments can be as little as 20%, but, yeah. but just factor, just budget or plan for a 25% down payment. Okay. Regardless of whether it's 20, 25 or 30, the point is, is instead of seven properties at a hundred thousand, let's just say it's 20 properties at a hundred thousand. Yeah. Um, so that 3% gain now is almost three times as much, right? So you have that three times the amount of equity gain, three times the net worth, three times the potential equity you can tap into again in five or 10 years to do this again, where you refinance, pull some equity out and you build a real estate portfolio even faster. It's kind of like a mushroom effect where you go from one to three, three to nine, nine to 18 or whatever it is. Yeah, so true. And then the other thing too with that is... Um, it sounds like you're pretty, you sound pretty young. So you know. <laughs> thank you. I get that, but I'm not, I'm, I'm 40 or I'll be 40 in a couple months, but thank you. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that's, that's young. So, um, you know, like what, what's the saying? Like, uh, 60 is the new 40 or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but the thing is, if you and your husband are in, in acquisition mode right now, you're in growth mode, yes. you know, you're not focused on the cash flow because you don't need the cash flow today. You've got jobs and, you know, you're okay income wise, then you should be focused on, on growing your portfolio as much as you can, whatever your goals are, but also focused somewhat on price growth as well. 
because what you want to do is you want to grow your portfolio. You want to grow it as big and as fast as you can to whatever your goal is. Yeah. But at the same time, you also want to take advantage, uh, not be hyper-focused on cash flow, but also be focused and um, mindful of how much appreciation you can gain over the next, let's say, 10 to 20 years because you're still young enough that you don't need that cash flow today. But when you, when you can focus on having the cash flow and the equity growth, like the appreciation mm-hmm. and you know, whether it's in three, five, seven, or 10 years from now, when you look back and say, Holy crap, you know, I, I picked some good markets and good properties. Now I have a bunch of equity I'm sitting on. Well, guess what? Your net worth is going to show that. And yeah. now you have that option again to be able to do that with that, uh, that newfound equity in these other properties to do what you're doing today with your principal residence. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I hadn't even thought about going into some of those more appreciation growth markets. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be all one or the, all the other. You yeah. could, I mean, people yeah. who are very growth oriented will be um, less concerned about the monthly and annual cash flow today because they know that they're in a very strong market with lots of growth. And the expectation is that the population will continue to grow and, and that will push prices up. And so they're, they're, they're basically in the path of progress and they're chasing after that appreciation, not as speculators, but as intelligent investors. Hmm. You still want the cash flow because you remember, you, I'm sure you've heard me say your cash flow is the glue that holds your deal together. Yes. Yep. Okay. So you, you want that cash flow to keep your deal together, but you, but you position yourself where you're going to strategically uh, take advantage of price growth right? Yeah. There's no guarantee. I don't have a crystal ball, but you know, if you play your cards right, you stack the odds in your favor that you're going to take advantage of that equity growth. And so if you do that, the equity will happen and you will now be equity rich and cash flow rich. And now yeah. you can leverage that equity into repositioning your portfolio where you have the equity to redeploy into more property and increase your cash flow, you're repositioning and rebalancing your portfolio. So now you're more focused on cash flow than you are focused on the uh, appreciation or the potential appreciation of those markets going forward. Got it. That makes sense. That makes sense. I like that. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. Where my head is at now, maybe I spread it out a little bit across cash flow and then across the growth markets that you guys are in. Okay. What is, um, I was poking around on your website, which redesign looks really great, by the way. Nice job on that. Um, what is this private lending program that you guys have? I saw a section for that on there. So I'll tell you what it was. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so, we're, so a little bit of a tangent, but um, I'm happy to talk about this. Uh, in fact, I'm happy to talk about anything you want to talk about. <laughs> um, so for, for a number of years, it was actually over three years, well, closer to four, I was offering investors the opportunity to invest in first and second position notes on properties that we were acquiring and renovating to either flip or to resell as turnkey rentals. So it was a separate business, uh, yeah. a, sis, a sister company, if you will. Okay. Um, acting as one of our property providers. And so we were buying, fixing and reselling properties. Some of them rentals, some of them just retail flips. I got tired of doing that and I stopped doing that. Yeah, I remember hearing you say you got out of the flip business. 
Yeah. I, I really don't like it. It's a lot of brain damage. It takes up a lot of my time. It's, yeah. it's, it's tiring. And I, I just don't want to be doing that anymore. And gotcha. so I'm unwinding that business. Okay. But um, I keep getting asked from people about it. Uh, I, I probably get one inquiry a week that morphed into a third thing, which is something that you may have seen in the newsletters. I don't talk about it too much, but I've always had an interest in theater, like especially musicals and, um, and Broadway. And so um, my partner, he's producing seven new Broadway musicals. Two of them are very significant. Uh, one is based on the 1983 movie Vacation with Chevy Chase. Oh yeah, yep. So we're turning that into Broadway Vacation which is done. It's in the can. It's done and ready to go. So we're now just at the fundraising stage where we bring investors in and then we will launch that in Seattle and then bring it to Broadway. Um, and then we have another one with Neil Diamond and it's about the life and music of Neil Diamond. And that oh one gosh, that's great. is also done, but it's unnamed at this point. We did a personal reading for Neil Diamond in New York uh, last month. And oh, he wow. loved it. So those are two of the seven productions that we were doing right now. And so this is open to investors, anybody who is interested. Um, we've created what's kind of unique in New York or on, at least on Broadway. And we've created a fund, like a mutual fund. So when you invest, you're actually investing in all seven. Wow. Out of just one. So that diversifies the quote unquote risk because it yeah. is a riskier investment. But when you hit a hit, like, Hamilton or yeah. Wicked. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, that is astronomical. Like that just pays dividends like crazy. Oh, I bet. I bet. What's the timing of all of those? Hopefully a, a little ways away given everything going on right now. Yeah. I haven't talked to Ken about the whole thing about the media and how that's impacting stuff, but um, we're really just taking expressions of interest this month and we're probably not going to start taking investment capital until next month, even okay. though it's still open. Okay. But we already have the theaters locked down. Like Broadway Vacation will launch in October in one of the uh, prestigious uh, theaters in the country, which is the theater in Seattle. And then from there, we'll run it for a few months or four months and then bring it to Broadway. Wow. That is so great. My, my niece actually works on Broadway. She's um, assistant. I'm looking at her LinkedIn title right now because I didn't know it off the top of my head. But she's assistant to the president and CEO at the New York City Center. Yeah, she works right on Broadway, and um, I have yet to make it down there to see her yet, but um, <laughs> she loves it, loves that, loves the atmosphere, loves all the shows, loves everything about it. Oh, it's, it's a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nothing but fun. Every time I go to New York, I'll always catch two shows, and I've probably seen seven in the last three months. Oh, that's awesome. Great. It's so cool. Yeah. That's so. really cool. Cool. Well, I'd, I'd definitely be interested in hearing more about that. Or um, I think you mentioned for another month or so, you're gauging interest. So um, are there any minimums for it? The, the unit is, they, they price it at 100K, but they're always split into quarters or halves. So when someone asks me what the minimum is, I always answer, well, it's like, it's either 25,000 or 50,000. Gotcha. Um, which is very, very typical, even for real estate syndications, like apartment complexes and stuff. Yeah. Um, so that's the short answer. The, the technical answer is that a unit, one full unit is a hundred thousand, but the producers always split that into halves or quarters. Okay. Okay. So, that could be a spot for some of the 700,000. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 but what's interesting about Broadway 
and investments, you know, in theater, like not movies, but actual productions like plays and musicals. And this is something that's kind of interesting um, is the investors are actually paid back first. They, the producers don't make a single dime of profit until the investors are actually paid their principal back. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then after the investors are made whole, that's when the profit is split 50-50 between the producers and the investors. Hmm. Uh, and sometimes the investors actually get paid more than 50% because there's a piece that split off the producers 50% that goes back to the investors. It just depends on the production. Hmm. So when it's lucrative, it's very lucrative. Yeah. Um, but Ken's success rate is actually 40%, not the 20%, which is average for the industry. Wow. That's pretty solid. Yeah. Much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, I, I can send you just a short email. I mean, I don't have like, you know, a, a fancy slide deck or, or, you know, offering memorandum or anything like that. I, I can send you some links and some stuff about Ken and uh, the productions and, uh, you know, just to give you a taste of it. And then okay. if it's something that you're interested in, we can, you know, talk further about it. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. Well, I thank you so much for your time. I imagine you probably jump from call to call every half hour. So I apologize if I've made you late. No, you're fine. So do, you, do you have any other questions? Like I'm, I'm, I'm good for time because I don't have any more calls for today. I, I was planning to do record, a, you know, a, an episode or something. But okay. um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm good if you have another question. I think um, I don't any, any have any others off the top of my head. You kind of gave me good things to think about with that 700 and, and uh, probably tomorrow or Friday, I'll start the refinance process. So, um, you know, I, I would say within 30 to 45 days, I'll have that money actually in my account ready to go have some fun with. Um, the only other thing I do have that maybe um, is worth bringing up is we do have a home equity line of credit on our house, which I imagine when I refinance that goes away. And the home equity line of credits for six hundred ninety-nine thousand. Um, it's a it's a normal ten-year interest-only HELOC. And so part of me is like, well, should I refinance or should I just use my HELOC? But at this point, I've kind of feel like refinancing is the better direction to head in. Well, remember, I keep saying <clears throat> a lot. A lot of the decision making here is about math. Yeah. And so, what are the terms on the HELOC? It's the 10-year interest only, and right now, I haven't checked the interest rate in a, a month or so, but last I looked, it was around 5%. I imagine now it might be closer to like four and a quarter. So math-wise, yeah, it, it, interest rate-wise, it just doesn't make sense, especially term as well. What I suggest you do is calculate what the monthly mortgage payment is on the increase on the refi. Okay. Right? Whatever that difference is. Yep. And then just realize that's principal and interest. Okay. Yeah. So you're, you're actually amortizing your loan on your principal residence. Yep. Um, and compare that to the interest only payment from your HELOC. Okay. At the four point something percent. Yeah, that's a good point. And you're going to find they might be the same, but you might find one is less than the other. And my feeling is this. If the monthly increase in that mortgage payment is less on the 30-year refi, then that is the better option because not only is the monthly payment less, but you're amortizing the loan. Mm -hmm. The interest is still just as deductible regardless of whether it's the HELOC or the refi. Yeah. 
and the the thirty year would be fixed as well as well, whereas the HELOC could rise and fall. Yeah. Right. If your monthly mortgage payment difference is less on the HELOC than the thirty year refi at three point one percent, then it probably isn't that much of a difference. So okay. unless it's a significant a difference, like significant enough difference, yeah. where it means something to you, then um, then that's the only time to really consider the HELOC. But okay. if you do do the refi, yeah, you're going to lose the HELOC because the HELOC would be a second loan and a second lien on the property. And the refi will obviously remove that equity that you're yeah, using that for sense. that HELOC. So you're replacing it is what you're doing. Okay. That makes sense. That you're makes turning sense. it from a line of credit to a loan. Okay. That makes sense. All right. Um, well, goodness, since you're giving me time and free for all to bombard you with questions, I do have one more, sure. <laughs> if you have time. Um, so following your, one of your more recent podcasts about, um, how to protect your investments, I did actually have a call yesterday. Okay. Uh, very nice woman. She already pulled together a plan for me. And, um, I, I guess my big question here is, uh, so two things, I know I need to make some moves to protect everything that I've built up so far and to keep marching along. Um, but at what point is it overkill? So she has, uh, her recommendation is to start with the Wyoming Holding LLC as our parent company um, and then set up a C-Corp for our vacation rental, which is here in Massachusetts. And then individual LLCs for all of the other properties that I have through you guys. Um, and just talked about signing up for like their titanium VIP unlimited package. And um, so I'm just wondering <laughs> at what point is it overkill that I have structured so many LLCs and parent LLCs and C-Corps. And she talked about one day maybe involving it into an S-Corp and land trusts. Um, versus just maybe a more tame approach? Okay, um, <laughs> it's, it's a very good question. It's potentially a big answer. Okay. I, I will certainly provide you some comment. First and foremost, you know I'm not a, an attorney of any kind. So, <laughs> you know, this is, this is just from what I've, my own personal experience and what I've learned and my own knowledge and my own opinion and comments. Okay. Okay. As far as your vacation home, I can't mm -hmm. comment on that because I don't know enough about it and your personal situation yeah. and what she has in mind with the C Corp. I, if that's a, a source of revenue, I can see where she's going with the C Corp, you know, to be able to qualify for financing later um, using the corporation, but that's a conversation you need to have with her. Okay. As far as the holding company being based out of Wyoming, or, or that could also be out of um, Nevada, mm -hmm. um, but yes, I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, okay. That is pretty standard to have a, a holding company, an LLC based in Wyoming, where your other entities tie into or flow into. Yeah, I definitely heard that one before as well, so that one felt right. Yeah, so that, that's just another layer of separation, and that really makes sense for, for many reasons. You, you, at the end of the day, you don't, you don't own or have interest in multiple LLCs. You only have interest in, at most, one LLC. Okay. Okay, so th this is where you know, the whole asset protection strategy starts to come in. 
As far as the LLCs where you hold property in the title holding LLCs, mm-hmm. there's really two schools of thought there. What Anderson is pre- presenting to you is, um, is probably one of the most buttoned down strategies. Certainly, you know, the best overall bulletproof plan, if you will. Okay. Um, because, and I actually asked Clint this on the podcast interview, if you recall, if you listened to that one, I, I asked him, I said, you know, how much is too much? Yeah. And, you know, he basically said, look, at the end of the day, the ideal scenario is to have one property per LLC. Yeah, it's one more form to file every year for each LLC, but it's just once a year and it's one form. So big deal. And yeah, there's an extra expense for each LLC. But he says, look, you know, if you're paying like 200 bucks or 300 bucks a year for each LLC, you know, just look at it as cheap form of insurance. It's just Mm -hmm. one more form of insurance that you're, you're paying to protect yourself and you're doing it on a per property basis. Okay. I, I don't want to say it's taking it to an extreme, but that is taking it to the um, kind of the best case scenario. Got it. Okay. Yeah. The other school of thought is one that I operated with for a long time, and that is to have X number of properties per LLC per state. Okay. Uh, so if, if you have, let's say, three properties in a particular city in one state, you put you know those three properties in that one LLC, that is also in that same state. The question there, and I've asked different asset protection attorneys the same question is, at what point do you decide how many properties you should have in that LLC? You know, some people poorly make that decision based on the number of properties, but the better way to make that decision, which is the way I've done it, is how much equity do you want in that LLC? So it's not the number of properties, it's how much total aggregate equity you have that you want on the line or at risk, you know, is it 50,000, a hundred thousand in equity? You know, that's where you have to make a decision. That makes sense. Yeah. But Clint's argument on that is regardless of whether you have zero equity or a hundred thousand in equity or anything else for that matter, uh, what you have at risk is not just the equity, whether there is some or not, it's the number of properties that you have at risk that Mm. a judgment could potentially be attached to. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much a focus on equity. It's a focus on, on properties that are potentially exposed to have a judgment attached to. Okay. So you need to make a decision and decide, you know, you and your husband, where you feel comfortable with the quote unquote risk or exposure that you have yeah. Yeah. On, on the properties you have in each market. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. I, my head was starting to say like, all right, if I could dial this back, maybe it is that second approach you were talking about of put a couple properties per city under an LLC. Um, But yeah, I'll talk it over with my husband is more and and keep speaking with Michelle to figure it out. It's something I need to do though, because right now I'm just completely exposed. Um, Well, yeah, you don't, you don't want to hold any assets like that in your name personally. Yeah, I I do right now since I've, um, since September, I've just been on acquisition phase and and acquiring so many of these properties. Um, So getting my asset protection plan in place is my my new number one priority along with refinancing my primary Um, because yes right now all of them are under my name only so it's a little bit scary yeah and then what you might want to think about is after you do your refinance on your principal residence Mm -hmm. that's that's the time where you can talk to you know whoever you're working with on the asset protection side of things to take your principal residence out of your name and put it into your trust 
We have done that. That's the one smart move we have already made. So my name is not on it, um, but it is in a trust so far. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I actually do need to scoot and um, go get my kids. So um, I will give you some time back, but I, I, I genuinely appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. It's kind of been a treat. So thank you so much. And uh, you've been very helpful. And I think what I can do next is I'll keep Melissa posted. She's been my go-to um, to help me find properties through you guys. So I'll keep her posted on when I free up this money and we'll keep hunting down some houses. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and your trust and anything we can do to help you. Um, we're here to help. All right. Thank you so much and stay safe. Thank you, Ashley. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Are you having a hard time finding great investment properties? Unfortunately, the best deals are rarely found locally. Successful investing begins with the right properties in the right markets. Norada Real Estate provides everything you need to invest in the best deals across the U.S. Our simple, proven system will help you create real wealth and passive monthly cash flow. Get your free copy of the ultimate guide to passive real estate investing at noradarealestate.com slash guide. That's N-O-R-A-D-A realestate.com slash guide. Nothing on this show should be considered specific personal or professional advice. Please consult an appropriate legal, tax, real estate, or business professional for individualized advice. For distribution or publication rights and media interviews, please contact the host.